You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Super Bowl is here, so bet with my bookie. Use promo code GATERS and get a 50% match with your first deposit. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me here on National Signing Day night is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and his site, or on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, uh, it may seem like we don't have a lot to talk about because nothing changed for the Gators from early signing day to national signing day as far as high school recruits go. Uh, believe me, we know there's some transfers <laughs> since then. We've talked about it, you know, a couple of them, of course, since uh, we did our offense, defense, uh, early 2021 previews for those sides of the ball. Uh, but as far as pure high school recruits go, we'll get into it right here. But nothing changed from early signing day to national signing day. Now, you know, this used to be my Christmas. I can remember back in like 2006, <laughs> I was in the lab in grad school and I was like hitting refresh over and over and over again, seeing whether Percy Harvin and Tim Tebow's faxes had come in, you know, back when they still use fax machines. And uh, even 2015, when McElwain took over, he had really a pretty atrocious class that was salvaged from a numerical perspective with CC Jefferson and, and Martez Ivy, five stars that he got right at the end. It was It's always fun, right, to have some hope in February that somebody's going to flip. And then you look at the top 100 and you're like, oh, there's like three guys that potentially anybody's going to sign. And and Florida only had one of them and really wasn't a whole lot of drama around him today either. So, uh, yeah, not exactly what it used to be. Everything sort of moved to that December date. And this year was weird because we were preparing for the SEC championship game at the same time that early signing day happened. And so, uh, you know, I, I think Gator fans maybe – maybe weren't paying attention to what was going on back at early signing day. So this is a good time to sort of recap what, what Florida's got now that the class has been finalized. Yeah. We've kind of known going into today, national signing day, that not much was, was going to happen. Uh, we'll get into the uh, Terry and Arnold situation. He does commit to Alabama over Georgia. I will say just over Georgia calls. We'll get into it, but Florida didn't even send a, a letter of intent uh, to Terry and Arnold. We'll kind of get into our thoughts is should that have happened? Uh, you know, of course, you know, the staff thinks it does. That's why it did happen. But, uh, you know, a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of fans out there <laughs> voice their displeasure of not offering a, uh, a top player, especially in the secondary for a position of need there uh, for, for, for the Gators. Um, 
Yeah, but uh, plenty, plenty to discuss here. Even though uh, not much happened, we'll get into you know where the Gators ended up ranking and all the storylines uh, following here on uh, National Signing Day. Uh, I'm gonna give a shout out uh, last Thursday. Uh, Fighting Gator Touchdown Club in Gainesville. Fun uh, speaking with that group. First time I've been able to do that with that group. A whole lot of fun there. So once again, thanking those guys for. Uh, inviting me to, to have a fun time in Gainesville and will <laughs> I, I tweeted it out I, re- I realized on the way back I was like huh this is the first time I'm driving back from Gainesville since that foggy foggy night <laughs> in a loss at LSU so uh too soon a, Dave too it soon was, it was but uh yeah it's my first time in Gainesville since uh since December so like I said it was a lot of fun I uh, to do more of those uh coming up uh, this year to preview uh, the 2021 season, uh, of course, a lot, a lot, a, a lot to discuss, a lot to discuss. So uh, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on News4Jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Help us out. Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. A lot of you are watching right now. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Really helps us out if you haven't done so yet. Uh, and um, also follow us on all the podcast platforms out there and follow us on social media, Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, all right, well, let's go through all the rankings right quick. That will, you know, total up to the uh, 24-7 sports composite, but 24-7 sports sole ranking has the Gators at 14th. Rivals has the Gators at 11th. ESPN at number 10. That is good for 13th in the 24-7 sports composite where all these services are aggregated. Lowest ranking since Dan Mullen's first cycle, and Bill Sykes, our good friend there, uh, sent sent us today that this is the lowest-ranked non-transition Florida class in the 24-7 sports composite ranking since 2002. 20 cycles there uh, for you know to get the <laughs> the lowest ranking for a uh, a class that was not a coach's first class, uh, basically there. So, and you know that was good for fifth in in the SEC. Will. And I'll pull up the overall rankings uh, right here on the 24-7 sports composite. No surprise, no surprise. Alabama, number one, uh, they have today, Will, on National Signing Day, eclipsed the 2010 Florida class for the best class in 24-7 sports composite history for the Alabama Crimson Tide. So they just win a national championship and then pulled in the best class in history. Ohio State, number two, Georgia, number three, LSU, number four. So you play number three and you play number four every year. Clemson, number five, Oregon, number six, Texas A&M, seven, USC, eighth, Notre Dame, nine, Michigan, 10, Oklahoma, 11, Miami, 12, Florida, 13, North Carolina, 14, Wisconsin, 15, Tennessee, 16, Texas 17, Lane Kiffin there in his first full class, 18th for Ole Miss. 19 is Maryland, 20th Nebraska, 21st Penn State, and I'll cut it off right here, number 22, Florida State. So, Will, you're, uh, like I said, fifth in the SEC there when you uh, total all that, but uh, your initial thoughts on uh, the final rankings there for uh, the Gators and Kind of where they're ranked around some in uh, ranked behind Miami and in state school. And uh, like as I said, fifth in the SEC. Yeah, I mean it's par for the course, right? It's it's what we've sort of seen 
over the first couple of years with Dan Mullen here in the program. It's it's what we saw at the end of early signing day. I mean, we, we pretty much knew there wasn't anybody who was a game changer who was going to move the needle that much. I mean, you mentioned Terry and Arnold earlier. Even if they'd signed him, that would have pushed him up above Miami. But the difference between 12th and 13th really doesn't matter. It, to me, it's more about tiers, right? I mean, you start looking at tiers in the Alabama, Ohio State, and really Alabama is sort of on a tier of their own, but then you go to Ohio state, Georgia and LSU and Clemson are all in like the two ninety to 300 range in the overall points. Then you drop down, you got sort of Oregon, A&M and USC. And then you drop down to Notre Dame, Michigan, Oklahoma, Miami, and Florida are all in that two sixty to two seventy range from a 27 sports total point perspective. And, you know, if you look at those teams, Oklahoma's made it to the playoffs but lost, but in a relatively weak Big 12. Miami can't win their own division in the ACC. Michigan can't beat Ohio State. Notre Dame keeps getting trounced in the playoff when they're allowed to go. And USC hasn't been very good recently. So I look at the I look at the grouping that Florida's in, and those are teams that have had good years and successful years the past few years, but those aren't teams that have necessarily been championship teams. And and that's that's the concern, right, is that 13th is good enough to where, especially with some of the transfers that we're going to talk about, 13th is good enough to get to a point where you might put yourself in position to be able to play a big game. And if you happen to pull out that big game or a couple of big games that you'd be able to make to the playoff. But it makes it an unlikely scenario, especially considering, like you mentioned, fifth in the SEC. And this is just another one of those things where you look at it and say, you know, nowhere else in any sort of capacity would would Dan Mullen or anybody else accept being the fifth best team in the SEC. And it's just, um, you know, we've, we've been sort of beating this drum since 2018, really since 2015, you know, when Jim McElwain had classes that weren't, weren't really up to snuff. And the warning was at some point the bottom's going to fall out here just because, you know, he's winning a lot of close games and, and, you know, he's going to have to hit on a quarterback. He never did. Brought in Felipe Franks in 2017. It struggled mightily, obviously, and then the bottom sort of fell out. I don't think – I think Mullen's a better coach than McElwain. I think everybody realizes that, which means you end up with an 8-4 and four season rather than, you know, a 4-8. and eight. And obviously that's that's a nice floor to have where you don't necessarily have to worry about falling off that bad. But, you know, here's the reality is that the hope was that Mullen was going to win and that the recruits were going to come because Mullen was going to win. And, you know, there you can go back and look in my archives. There are articles that say that's probably not going to happen um, because it hasn't historically. That that's not that sellers sell, that recruiters recruit, and, they, and that that is not the record for teams. That typically at this point you've brought in an elite class if you're going to bring in an elite class. doesn't mean you can't bring in one next year. Hopefully he does, but you look at where 2022 is and it doesn't bring you a lot of hope because Ohio State and Georgia up there high again and Alabama always sort of lurking in the shadows to go flying up the board. You know the the same problems are going to are going to exist next year where you know you got to recruit your own state, got to keep Alabama and Georgia out of Florida, you got to make sure Miami doesn't snag a bunch of those top players, and that's just not something they've been able to do, and certainly not something they were able to do this year. So, I think they added a lot of solid players. I think they added some really really good players and guys who are going to be able to contribute right away. Um, just like it always is, though, recruiting is a percentages game, right? You've only got twenty five slots. And so out of those 25 slots that you decide to fill, either with transfers or recruits, you got to hit on seven or eight of them as being full-time SEC starters in order to have a full team. And you look at a team like Alabama, there's a reason why they're always able to reload because they've got seven five-stars coming in this year. And beyond that, you know, you start looking at the top 100 guys that they've got on their roster. It's probably like 15 or 16. And so they've just got 
a wave of guys who are competing and coming in and making each other better. And even if half of those guys get hurt or transfer out or some, or, you know, get kicked out, get kicked off the team for cheating or domestic, um, domestic violence, like all the things that tend to happen over the course of, you know, the things you can't control, right. Then the one thing you can control is having the most talent on campus that you can get so that when one guy doesn't work out, there's the next guy to step up. So, you know, it's high variance, but Mullen has certainly proven that he's able to compete with teams that I think have less talent than some of the teams that he's been able to beat. But, you know, you, you posted something on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about the record against Kentucky and Georgia and LSU and Alabama. And, you know, the teams that Florida has struggled against are the ones that are sitting there up ahead of them in the recruiting rankings one, one more time. So, you know, we'll see. I, I, we keep, I keep saying that, you know, Mullen's going to have to do something historic if he's going to win the SEC based on the way he's recruiting. And that hasn't changed because this is right in line, at least from the average player ranking, which is 90.38. If you're not looking at the overall sort of 13th mm-hmm. ranking, 90.38 is like 12th, I think, overall in the country. And that's kind of where they've been for the last four years. Like you look at 2018 and it was basically, I think, 90.4 was the was the player ranking. And it just hasn't improved since then. So it's the same level of player. So the last three years is probably what we're going to see for the next three. Um, the problem is, is that that hasn't led to what we consider the Gator standard, which is SEC and national championships. Yeah, and uh, the the big thing there is, just kind of jumping off your last point, a lot of the players that have played for Dan Mullen were still Jim McElwain recruits. So we still have yet to see the big influx of that 90-point-whatever talent <laughs> uh, encompassing the roster and, and Dan Mullen winning with that. So uh, in 2021, uh, we'll get into some of your tweets here that you sent me all day, uh, speak to that and you know how 2021 would be big when we can really judge Dan Mullen's recruiting because still relying so much on uh, previous staff players uh, there. Will, you did bring up the transfers, uh, of course. We'll get into that. Uh, we, I mean, of course, we preface everything there. Uh, with the rankings, do not include the transfers. We'll get into all that talk. Uh, but as far as what does contribute to these rankings, the players that are involved in those rankings in this class, what we do like, Will, and we discussed a little bit uh, back on early signing day in our offense-defensive previews we've done within the last couple of weeks, and you know we'll kind of quickly highlight that again. What we you know what we do like, what I do like, uh, defense overall, uh, I do think be good. Numbers in the secondary uh, in, in a position of uh, of the defense that has to be a whole lot better, basically what we saw from this past year. Numbers in the secondary. Marshall, Collier, McMillan headlined that group, while the Gators also received commits from Jordan Young, Dakota Mitchell. There, um, you know, Marshall, Collier, McMillan, probably guys that could fight for some early playing time. Young, Mitchell, more your developmental types. Don't expect much from them early on. Up front on defense, adding four stars, Justice Boone, Tyreek Sapp to go along with big Desmond Watson and Christopher Thomas there uh, in, in the middle to go along with some good young potential there uh, up front for the Gators. Then I like what they did at linebacker Jeremiah Williams, Chief Borders. Um, you know, Borders was a, a commit there that um, a, lot of, a lot of the fan base was kind of torn on, but Florida was in early on. He was a tackling machine his senior season. Uh, Florida – we saw how much they missed David Reese, a tackling machine in his own right for the Gators the last couple of years. Maybe Chief Borders can come in. He's got the name for it, Will, and um, maybe uh, can be a leader there at, at linebacker, add in one Black, who can play second, third level. Really like the potential of this defense um, uh, when you look at it on paper here. Go to the other side, two quarterbacks, two four-star wide receivers to go along with two tight ends, Nick Elksness and Gage Wilcox. Uh, that's 
kind of what the pinpoint there on offense, uh, Will, I think we've discussed in our offensive preview. No, no, we didn't discuss it there. I'll discuss it here. Um, get your thoughts on it. I think we probably discussed it when those these guys committed, Kitna and Del Rio, at quarterback. But it is – and I've brought this up on the podcast before. I brought it up with Mike Farrell last week. Very interesting that you go from Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask, Jim McElwain quarterbacks, Dan Mullen comes in, recruits Emory Jones, recruits Anthony Richardson, but then goes back to more the drop-back quarterback with this you know I'm not saying these guys aren't athletic they can't move around but more of the drop back use their arm before their leg style of of del rio and kitna you know it looks it looks like Dan mother wants to keep this quarterback room pretty versatile yeah i mean you know i think if he had his druthers and could recruit somebody who could run and had a cannon um he would do it in fact i think emory jones sort of fits that profile right that he's right. He's, yep. he's got a big arm the accuracy is going to be the accuracy the decision making is going to be the thing that we haven't seen doesn't mean he can't do it it's just they really haven't let him throw very much um I, I think you take the best player available when you have the opportunity right and we saw this last year with kyle trask actually the last two years i think we were all surprised when trask came in when franks got hurt against kentucky thought maybe Trask would play against Kentucky just because it was a road game and they didn't want to throw Jones into the fire, but then eventually Emory would take over and it, and it turns out that Trask was just a revelation and that Mullen was able to adapt his offense. And that's maybe the silver lining here is if you look at the overall um, – if you, if you look at the overall class, it is highly tilted, especially at the top 100 level to defense, right? You got Jason Marshall ranked 28th, Corey Collier ranked 106th, Donovan McMillan 202 at safety, Jeremiah Williams at defensive end 73rd, Tyreek Sapp defensive end 100th. So their top 100 guys are all on the defensive side of the ball. And obviously, if you look at last year's team, um, the place where they could <laughs> use top 100 talent was the defensive side of the ball. And we keep saying this over and over and over again, and it really is true that I, I think is that, you know, we don't have to worry about the offense as long as Dan Mullen's there. Like he's shown that he's able to take guys who aren't necessarily elite level talents and turn them into fantastic players. And then when they've got guys who are elite level talents like a Kyle Pitts or like a Kadarius Tony, or at least Tony was a unique talent that he's able to take those guys and really utilize them in the offense. So I think for the most part, most people aren't worried about the offense and aren't really worried about the type of quarterback. They figure Mullen's going to be able to adapt and mm-hmm. and do what he needs to do. And the more competition you have in there, the better, right? That if you've got, if you've got a guy who's a lead at reading defenses, and then you've got a guy who's a really good runner, you'd love to have that in one player, but you know, Michael Vick doesn't come around that often. Neither does Dak Prescott for that matter. So, um, you know, I, I do think it's interesting. The two quarterback signees here is is interesting. Um, I think they actually enjoyed the fact that they had Franks as sort of the elite recruit and then Trask as the guy who was sort of overlooked. And I think having that is something that programs are going to have to think about because if you bring in two elite level quarterbacks and one of them doesn't get to play, then the other then the other one's going to transfer. And, you know, we saw this with Jacoby Brissett and, and Jeff Driscoll. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and you've seen it in Georgia, where it's been sort of a revolving door at quarterback. Even though Kirby Smart keeps bringing in five star guys, you end up with Stetson Bennett playing with a national championship level defense. Because all of you look at look at Emory Jones, a high level quarterback. Now he didn't come in with another quarterback, but it's very rare for a guy with his talent profile to to be you know to hang on for for three years and now finally going to get a shot. Well, and that's actually one of the things that I think when you read in depth different profiles of Dan Mullen and is that his players maybe don't connect with him right away, which is one of the reasons why he struggles so much on the recruiting trail. 
But once they get in, they love him, right? I mean, Tim Tebow is a Dan Mullen disciple. Like, he will do anything for the guy at this point. They have that kind of relationship. Same thing with Alex Smith. Same thing with Josh Harris for Bowling Green. Um, you know, all the guys, same thing with Dak Prescott. All the guys that he's coached love him. Um, but he doesn't necessarily make those connections really quickly. And so, you know, I, I suspect that you, you think about what a salesman has to say to get guys to come into his program. And and I think Kirby Smart is excellent at that. But I also think there are people who've come into that program who have felt like it wasn't what they were promised when they came into the program. It doesn't seem like that's something that happens at Florida. And maybe that's not true because there's been a lot of attrition at Florida too. But at least at the quarterback position, you know, like you said, Emory Jones, I think probably expected he was going to take over this year but is patient enough to wait through and, and is going to get an opportunity to win the job this year uh, because he stuck it out. Trask, again, is one of those guys who I think we all look at and say, hey, that's a special thing that he stuck it out of Florida. At the same time, that's kind of what Kitten is buying into here, right? I mean, Kitten yeah. is buying into – they've got Emory Jones, they've got Anthony Richardson, and then they've got Carlos Del Rio, and Kitten is going to have to beat out all three of those guys if he wants to play anytime soon. So, And he has, and he has a dad, too, that could probably speak to that process. Sure. So, you know, but then again, his dad made a lot of money in the NFL, not starting too. I yeah. mean, yeah. John Kitten was a backup for a lot of the time. Played, played, played a bit for the Cowboys and a lot for the Lions. But, uh, you know, the, the reality is that mentality of what it takes to be a backup and how you get better being around high level competition is probably something that John can talk about to, to his son. So I, I think that that's an interesting aspect of the class is bringing in two quarterbacks. They haven't done that before, right? They, they had Jalen Jones. Or you know they had Emory Jones the first class, Jalen Jones the second, and then uh, and then Anthony Richardson in in twenty twenty, and now in twenty twenty one they're bringing in two quarterbacks. It is interesting to me that they've decided to do that. I you know don't have any insight in it other than they must really like what they see from Kitna, and they like the attitude in terms of you know that he's a Florida guy and is going to stick it out and try to beat beat out the quarterback and really push him, and that's something that they need. Yeah, well you kind of spoke to, and we get this question a lot. You know when you see Florida ranked. 13th in recruiting rankings and you know why is it that way you know what, what why is it can't recruit on the level of alabama georgia ohio state clemson you know what, what does this staff lack or whatever and and i'll and i'll say it you know they're they're not the kiss butt type you know we've heard from dan mullen and and john hevesy and and that group it's kind of straight to the point they're going to kind of maybe tell you the truth they're not going to beat around the bush and you may want to hear it you they're not really going to cater to you all, all that much and that probably rubs some of the younger 17 18 year old guys the wrong way then kind of going into the next part of what we'll get into maybe rubs the transfers that they get that they come in the right way and you know, they see the results on the field they see the the, the development of, of players coming in and now you know Dan Mullen has a track record of these transfers year after year after year that are you know really speaking high to guys coming and being able to to produce now these transfers um everybody's that you know are is sure to point out when all these recruiting rankings come out that they're they're not included in the rankings if you included them florida would be here 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 uh close to you know top five or whatever so you know they're not included it now, my, my thing about this will you know demarcus bowman eric gilbert daquan newkirk antonio shelton dylan meeks uh four of those guys are already you know on campus, ready to go for spring. We've got to wait on Gilbert till May. He'll be a summer enrollee there. But, you know, it's tricky if you want to include those guys in the rankings since transfers all have different years of eligibility uh, here. You know, Demarcus Bowman, Eric Gilbert still have full eligibility left since 2020 was a free year. 
But if they are who we want them to be as Florida Gators, then you're only going to get two years out of them <laughs> as they can um, leave for the NFL after being removed from high school for only three years. So you can see where it starts to get tricky if you want to start including these guys in rankings. You know, Do you include it for this year? Do you retroactively count them in 2020? Take the other transfers, defensive linemen, Daquan Newkirk, Antonio Shelton, Dylan Meeks. Those guys will only be one-year players. You know, JUCOs are counted for, for the one or two years they'll be on uh, on campus and in class. Uh, and, you know, they'll, they'll be they'll, – they're counted in the class that they come in with. So maybe transfers should be the same way. I don't know. But with the different years involved, it's a unique situation of where you should include transfers when you're trying to start to look at class rankings because, yes, they do make a difference. They're going to be on the roster. But it's just, you know, how long are you going to have them – and I can see why the recruiting services kind of find it tricky of how you're going to rec- how you're going to include them in, in in rankings. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think each transfer is different, right? You mentioned Bowman and and Gilbert are going to have multiple years of eligibility left. the The thing that I would say is that we know that Demarcus Bowman has an awful lot of potential, but we haven't necessarily seen him do it on the field. Eric Gilbert really played well last year, yeah. and so we all know that he's a solid SEC player before he's even coming, and he's got two years of eligibility. You look at Daquan Newkirk and Antonio Shelton, those are guys who've played power five football at defensive tackle. One of them in the SEC, Newkirk's coming over from Auburn. And so you know they can play power five level football. You know they're going to be capable of contributing as long as they stay healthy. And so, you know, like I mentioned, recruiting is a probability game, right? You bring in two four stars and only one of them is probably going to be a starter and one in three or maybe one in four makes it to the NFL. So if you look at a guy like Shelton and say, he's got an NFL profile, if he puts up a good year at Florida, then you go, okay, well that's worth taking a shot at, even if it's only one year, the, you know, same thing with Gilbert. If you're going to get two years of Gilbert, it's absolutely worth it. And you'd never turn that guy down. Um, same as you wouldn't turn down a five-star recruit who you knew, and you'd never know this, but let's say you knew some guy was going to blow out his knee two years in. The two years you got out of him was still worthwhile for, for the spot. The, the issue that I have is, is that Florida is relying so heavily on the transfer portal that they've had to count back all of their recruits. And you know, I think, I think they maybe have two spots left, maybe three, for, for transfers if they want to bring people in this year. And, and so the question is next year, you're not you you can't sign a full complement of 25 players and count people back to previous previous uh recruiting classes and then bring in a bunch of transfers so you gotta it's an either or decision at this point for florida it's no longer hey we're gonna bring in 25 recruits and five transfers you just can't do that because of the way the numbers work out and so next year if they want to bring in five transfers they're gonna only be able to sign 20 or 21 guys and that's where the concern comes in, just because you don't have the depth if you're gonna if you're gonna rely on the transfer portal. The reality is, is the transfer portal is a way to paper over holes, right? I mean, they don't bring in Shelton and Newkirk unless they've got giant holes at defensive tackle that they have right. to fill. Now you bring in Bowman and Gilbert because they're extraordinarily skilled. But Christman, the kicker, Newkirk and Shelton were brought in because of need. And that's something that has to do with roster building is you have need because in 2018 and 2019, you didn't sign a whole lot of defensive tackles. And so you've got a big hole between Adam Schuler and Kyrie Campbell and and to Daryl Slayton. And then who's next, right? I mean, Gervon Dexter obviously got some play last year and, and showed flashes, but he's really the only person that Florida could rely on as a 
as and say this guy projects as a starter in the SEC, which is why you got to go get Shelton Newkirk and and uh, same thing with Chrisman, right? They needed a kicker, so they bring in that guy through the transfer portal. So it's a little bit of so I get why people don't use it to evaluate. I think you start looking at that 2020 class and you say, all right, Florida has Gilbert, who was a top 20 guy, Bowman, who was a top 20 guy, and and. Gervon Dexter, who I thought was like top 25, right? So you got three of the top 25 guys on your roster. That's great, right? I mean, that, that's what you that's what you want. But we need that every year, right? right? right. <laughs> like that, that's the thing, is if you had three of the top 25 guys for every recruiting class since, say, 2019, we wouldn't be saying recruiting struggling. We would be saying, this is awesome. He's doing an awesome job recruiting because he's bringing in three of the top 25 guys. So, you know, hey, if you do it through the transfer portal, that's great. Um, but it's something you got to do consistently year after year because it's the process of building a roster, not necessarily just the process of building a class. And the reason that we look at classes, you know, class to class is because you expect things to be progressing, right? You expect them to be improving. Like you would expect to go from 14th to 9th to 7th to 5th, especially with as much success as Florida's had. They just haven't been able to do that. Right, right there. So, yeah, I mean, if you count the transfers, of course, this class would be much better. Uh, but as you said, Will, you'd rather have the three, four-year guys. And, uh, and I think that's why the services don't include um, them. That maybe they need to approach it another way because this is, it's not going away. You know, it's, it's going to become, I mean, right now, especially because 2020 and how everything happened, this was predicted. The transfer portal was predicted to be crazy. <laughs> for 2020, 2021, the transition uh, for, 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 from there. But, uh, you know, so there's probably going to have to be a way. Maybe you come up with a separate transfer ranking. And, you know, Florida would probably be near the top of that every year. Uh, and we, you could look at that. But yeah, as far as including in, in, in the high school 2021 or whatever class it is, uh, I can see where it's difficult. But also, you know, it can't be overlooked. Well, and, and 24-7 does try to do that, but the way they do it is by the team talent composite that they put Correct. out every year, right. right? So you look at Florida hasn't had a team, hasn't had a recruiting class better than ninth in the country, um, you know, since Dan Mullen arrived. But last year they were seventh in the overall talent composite. And the reason they were seventh is that they had brought in three five-stars who weren't in any of their recruiting classes. So you look at where yeah. Florida ended up at the end of the year last year, it's actually a little bit disappointing, right? They were seventh. But you lose four games and you get you get stomped by uh, by Oklahoma at the end and sort of fall down. But you know, Florida was at seventh, Oklahoma was at ninth. So you start comparing that. You say, hey, those rosters were probably pretty equivalent talent wise before Florida had all the opt outs. Then you have the opt outs. Maybe it's not a surprise they get smashed. LSU sixth. Obviously, they came to the swamp a little bit uh, a little bit nicked up and missing a lot of guys, but still a talented team. And then Georgia and Alabama one and two, right? With Ohio State three and Georgia four. So it turns or and Clemson four. So it turns out that you know, and Notre Dame eighth, right? So the four playoff teams came from the top eight in the country from a talent composite standpoint. Um, and Florida was right there. So the the transfers are being accounted for when you look at that overall talent composite, which is usually usually released right before the season starts or right after mm-hmm. the season starts. And and you can take a look at that. So the, 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 the idea that the transfers don't get counted is, is not necessarily true. I think the big thing is, is that they don't get counted in individual classes because at the end of the day, what we're really interested in is how talented is the roster that you've built. And that's maybe the thing that, that you take out of all the transfers. You say, okay, Florida had four or five stars last year, but none of those guys are leaving. And so now you're bringing in Bowman and you're bringing in Eric Gilbert and then you're bringing in Jason Marshall. So now you're going to have seven five-stars. And last year, Clemson had seven. 
or I'm sorry, LSU had seven, Clemson had 11, Ohio State had 14, Alabama had 12, and Georgia had 16 five stars. Other than that, nobody had more than seven. So, you know, Florida at the elite level, because of the transfers they brought in, are going to have guys who profile like that. Now, the question I have is a guy like Lorenzo Lingard was a five star going to Miami, transfers to Florida, but had a pretty serious knee injury between the time that he left high school and the time that he came to Florida. Is he still the guy that he was in high school from, uh, you know, or is he somebody who's suffered a knee injury and isn't the same level player? Justin Shorter was a five star going to Penn State. Didn't really have a whole lot of success up there at State College. Comes down to Florida, showed a couple of flashes last year, but. I don't think anybody says, yeah, based on what we saw last year, that guy's going to be a difference maker for the team. Nobody's going, oh, yeah, Percy Harvin. Like <laughs> Nobody's saying that after seeing him play for a year. So, you know, part of the reason these guys transfer in some cases is because they weren't getting the playing time that they wanted at the place that they're at. And whether they're a four-star, a five-star, or a three-star, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the reason – that they're not getting playing time because they're not beating out the guy in front of them at Alabama. Maybe that's an excusable thing, but it doesn't feel like a lot of the Alabama guys go in the transfer portal. They kind of know what they're in, in for and, and wait their turn and compete. Um, but you know, that that's the danger, right? As you bring in a guy from the transfer portal, you don't necessarily know what he's going to be. That's, that's the thing that I think is so encouraging about Gilbert is we know what he's going to be. We've already seen it. Like there's tape. You can go look at what happened at LSU and go, Hmm, that guy can catch. Like, so, you know, is he going to be as good as Kyle Pitts? I think it's kind of a tall task. Um, you know, considering the, offense, the, 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 the changing offense, he, he won't have to be. Yeah. Well, and you know, that that's the other thing though, that makes you, makes you concerned though, because if you look at his blocking yeah. last year, um, they're going to have to help him with that the same way they did Kyle Pitts between <laughs> 2019 and 2020, because uh, that's that's an area where he struggled last year, and and so I, I they split him out a lot as you know essentially a slot receiver because he struggled with blocking at times, particularly in pass protection. But again, a true freshman with no spring practice and limited fall practice with all the COVID stuff going on. I think those are things that are excusable. It's just something that you can see on the tape. So, you know, I can imagine Florida getting 50, 55 catches out of Gilbert next year. I, I don't think he's going to be explosive as Pitts. I just think that's an unreasonable ask, right? A guy mm-hmm. who got Heisman Trophy votes is going to be a top 10 draft pick in the NFL. Um, you know, obviously, if Gilbert replicates that, then we're all going to be thrilled. Uh, but I think it's, you know, just like you're doing hey, a disservice to Kyle Pitts if you're saying Gilbert's going to be the next Kyle Pitts because well, that was special. That was special. Well, I mean, same thing people did to Andre DeBose when he came in, play, <laughs> I mean, a five star recruit. Everybody thought he was great. And they're like, oh, the next Percy Harvin. It's yeah. like, you know, I mean, we got six years of it and it, it wasn't as good as Percy Harvin. And nobody's going to be, nobody's been as good as Percy Harvin. Since. Bad six years weren't as good as one year of Harvin. So. Uh, and this is why that LSU game, why it's still too soon, Dave. Like the, the reason it's yeah. still too soon for you to make comments about coming back from Gainesville when it's all foggy um, <laughs> is because this was a team that had special level players on it in 2020. And, and they just weren't able to get the job done at the end of the day. And I mean, it was a fun season to watch and, and, and I'm glad that it, that it occurred. And I'm thankful for those guys who played for, for Florida at the same time, you're just sitting there going, Oh, that LSU game. Like that is the mm-hmm. one where it's just like, Oh, like a knife in the heart. And uh, you know, part of the reason is because Kyle Pitts doesn't come around every year. And Eric Gilbert is going to be a admirable replacement for Pitts. I think we can say that already, but you know, 
replacing Kyle Pitts is going to require more than one guy, right? It's going to require Justin Shorter to be better next year. It's going to require, um, you know, Xavier Henderson to be better. It's going to require Marcus Burke to come in and play really well as a true freshman. So all of those things are going to have to combine and, and uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, that's the other thing is you got a brand new quarterback on the offensive side of the ball. And so um, we're, they're going to need all these defensive recruits that they've got coming in because uh, I don't expect them to score 40 points a game next year, but I also don't expect them to give up 35 either. So. There we go. Uh, I'll get my final thoughts here on, on some of the transfer talk. Uh, but before we do, it's Super Bowl weekend. Uh, whether you're, you're on the Chiefs or Buccaneers, just remember where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I always tell my friends to go with my bookie. My bookie has all the props for the big game. These guys truly let you bet on anything, whether it's the length of the national anthem, MVP, or color the sports drink dumped on the winning coach. My bookie has a buffet of Chief. Bucks, props for you to chew on. You can even win big on NFL squares. No need to leave the comfort of your home. You can access access the sportsbook and casino right from your phone. Don't miss out on the last game of the year. Sign up at MyBookie today and use promo code Gators to have your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. That's a free cash bonus just for making your deposit. Use promo code Gators to claim the offer. Bet, win, and get paid with MyBookie. Yeah, well, my things, of course, you know, my final thoughts here for the transfer. Yes, they it would it would help it would help the rankings. Rankings would definitely change and help Florida here. But I, I, I will say this, you know, it with the transfers happening in the way they're happening, there's a lot of defending the subpar high school recruiting because of these uh, of these transfers uh, in the transfer portal. Time will tell you know, how much this will help or, or if it's sustainable compared to traditional recruiting. You know, let's not forget while it has helped Florida's roster since Mullen has been here, you know, it's been necessary because of the, the traditional recruiting lacking, as you you said earlier, uh, compared to the better teams out there. You know, Florida has to hit the portal uh, to, to, to make the roster better and compete. I really don't get the thought that recruiting doesn't need to be better because of getting transfers. Why can't we be, why can't it be both? Why can't both be great? I don't see a problem with that. Uh, yes. I, you know, I'd rather have these players than not have them, but I'd like to have that type of player longer, at least three years, most elite college players give you. And uh, I'd like to not have to pass on good players in traditional recruiting because you have to have an experienced player at another position that wasn't recruited well. Uh, you know, Yale, Florida re- recruited well in the secondary, but that position need that position needs all the help it can get. And you know, Florida didn't send safety Terry and Arnold a, a letter of intent uh, because of limited room on the roster and, and wanting to save a spot for a transfer offensive lineman or a, a possibly a linebacker. Uh, you know, if traditional recruiting was better, then you wouldn't have been in that situation. You'd be able to stockpile talent at, at, at positions where you would need help. Or on another note, you know, don't waste a scholarship on a long snapper when you need room for higher rated players. Uh, so, you know, there's things you can pinpoint to here in the traditional recruiting that uh, you see why Florida has to hit the transfer portal. But, you know, if the if the upfront recruiting was a bit better, then you can just kind of pick and choose where to fill in with the, with the elite transfers and, you know, let them make a difference in – going to go challenge Georgia and Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State when you look at their recruiting rankings. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, which is that, you know, we we talk about development and we talk about on-field coaching and we talk about recruiting. And even if you assume that recruiting is only 33% of the overall picture, 
33% still an awful lot to be finishing fifth in the SEC. It means you got a lot to overcome when when you go the other way or when you know when you start looking at the development, the in-game coaching. And you know, we saw a few clock management things crop up last year. And we've seen some things where, you know, one of the things it's been obvious for three years that Kadarius Tony's a special guy and hasn't really gotten on the field that much. And, you know, those sorts of things start to add up over time. I think the big thing that I look at is just it's clear, right? You look at the teams that make it to the playoff year after year after year, and they're teams that recruited an elite level. And, you know, you can talk about Clemson maybe not being quite at that level, except that last year's talent composite, they're ranked fifth. So, you know, they're, they're right there or fourth. They're right there up in the top five, top 10 at this point, pretty consistently. And they're not and sort have of the luxury of only having to pass FSU in the ACC. Well, and here's the thing, right, is that they're they're fifth in the country this year, but they only have 19 commits. And that's the thing that I think <laughs> that's the thing that I think starts to worry you a little bit is that Florida's got 22 commits on this particular for this particular class. Miami's got 21. They're in front. Oklahoma's got 16. They're in front. SC has 22 and they're considerably in front. Um, Clemson has 19. They're in front. LSU has 22 considerably in front. Georgia has 20. And Ohio State is twenty-one, and they're considerably in front of Florida. So not all, so it's not just that a overall Ohio State's brought in more talent, or overall brought in more talent. Like the average guy they're bringing in is more talented than the average guy Florida's bringing in, and so there's a handicap when you go out there on Saturdays, and Mullen has to overcome that handicap. And then the other thing is, is that if you're going to rely on your guys and your evaluations, then you can't have the sort of attrition that they've seen. In, in mm-hmm. each of their classes. In 2018, you sort of think of that in transition classes, yep. like you're going to have some attrition over time. But the 19 classes had a lot of guys leave. Um, you know, even the 20 class, you had Isaiah Walker leave before the season even started. And, you know, you wouldn't need to be waiting for a transfer offensive tackle if Isaiah Walker was still on the team. So you waste an initial counter on of those 25 guys you're allowed to sign every year when you waste them in guys who aren't academically eligible or have to go to JUCO and then transfer back. Dewan Black's a great story. But the reality is, is that that counter that they used could have been used on somebody who's been contributing the last two years. And so he's going to have to come out and play really, really well over the next couple of years in order to make the use of that spot on him be worthwhile. I think he can do it. But at the same time, like he's got to be really good coming right out of the gate to make it worth it. And those sorts of things where there's just been you know, guys who haven't been academically eligible, who've signed and, and used accounting spot, but haven't necessarily made it to the fall guys who've left before they ever got in the fall camp. You, know, you got Chris Steele, what they recruited from California who went back to California and really was playing well for USC last year. And you're just sitting there going, Oh, like if we had him across from, uh, if we had him across from Kyrie Elam last year, what would that defense have looked like? Right. And, and those sorts of things like one guy can make a difference. Now, you don't want to grade recruiting based on one guy. But the reality is, is Florida didn't have anybody else step up last year in the secondary. It showed nobody else plays. And man, would it have been nice to have Chris Steele back there? So the attrition is something you got to watch out for as well, is that if you're going to count the transfers and say, let's count them back to a particular class, then you also have to count the guys who've left and, and say, OK, we're going to subtract them from the overall count as well. And and so Florida hasn't fared real well there. And we can't, forget other, we can't forget other schools get transfers as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's the same argument with, with the on-field coaching and the development, right? It's not as though other schools aren't trying to develop the guys they bring in when they bring them in. Now, I think you can make an argument that Florida maybe does a better job under Mullen than some other programs do. 
Um, I think we certainly at the quarterback position can say that when, when compared to Georgia. At the same time, Mullen's one and two against Georgia. So, um, you know, there's still some work to be done there to, to really confirm that you can win this way. Um, you hope you can, but it's one of those things where, again, I think it's bucking against history. Like elite SEC teams recruited a level higher than Florida has the past four years. So they're either going to have to increase their recruiting significantly in order to, in order to win more consistently. They're going to win – at a level that's historically where teams that have recruited where Florida, uh, you know, win at, or Mullen's going to do something special. And if he does something special, great. That's one of the reasons why it makes sports fun, right? Is sometimes things are unexpected. Um, at the same time, I think everybody at this point can see the writing on the wall and say, Hey, he's going to really have to do something that's unique. And the question is, can he do it? And, you know, the fact that he had so many special special guys on the roster last year and wasn't able to pull out the game against A&M, the game against LSU and the game against Alabama. So some doubt in people's minds, right? That in year three, you were like, eh, he needs to get over that hump. Now, you know, not having Savage and not being able to sort of take over the fourth quarter the way they did in 2018 and 2019, maybe had something to do with that. And so now you're going to have a more normal 2021 season and we'll see if Florida gets back to being able to dominate and win those close games in the fourth quarter. Yep. Uh, well, so we'll keep, I mean, I know it kind of sounds like we're piling on Florida at, at, at this point, but that's kind of just where it's at right now. We've, you know, the transfers are good. I don't want to, that be, but it's good out of necessity. Uh, you know, Florida has to go hit it. At least they're doing it the right way. They're getting a lot of proven players uh, and a lot of guys who can make difference there uh, for, for this team. You know, we just worry about the sustainability of it and, you know, something that's, we won't be able to see right away. Uh, well, something else we have to kind of talk about, in-state recruiting, state of Florida recruiting, were Florida a little better than what they have been maybe, uh, but still being dominated by teams out of the state, namely Alabama. Alabama comes in and just dominates the state of Florida. Seven of the top 20 players in the state are going to Alabama. Florida has three in the top 20. Uh, and Bill, I mean, uh, uh, Will, remember, you know, we, we were told, Results on the field were, were going to make a huge difference in Florida recruiting. Well, Bama grabbed the eighth-ranked player in the state, wide receiver Ja'Cory Brooks. 11th-ranked player in the state, wide receiver Ajay Hall. 14th-ranked player in the state, wide receiver Christian Leary. The Tide grabbed three of the top four wide receivers in the state. Oklahoma grabbed the other. Now, I'm a huge fan of Marcus Burke. He probably would have been ranked higher had he not been injured his senior year. Not best wide receiver in the state of Florida. Florida's top signee at the position as well. But remember when results on the field would make all the difference in recruiting, that's what we, you know, we were consistently told, but Florida's passing attack still isn't getting the top receivers in the state. Now, I don't blame guys for going to Alabama. We saw what that passing attack was and, and all that. But you know the, the, the best example I can give in in-state recruiting needing to get better is that we're not there. You had the results the last couple of years with a quarterback and a wide receiver core going to the NFL, producing numbers, Look, there's no shame in losing recruits to Alabama. That happens to everybody out there, but you, you can't get one of those wide receivers to pair up with Burke. And, you know, Miami got commitments from the third and fourth best players in the state, uh, you know, behind Alabama getting the top two players in the state. Florida had three in the top 20 uh, uh, players in the state, as, as I mentioned, uh, but Miami had five in the top 30, uh, while Florida had four in the top 30. So, you know, Florida's the best team in the state, can't capitalize has a high-flying offense, but all the best receivers in the state are going to Alabama. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, you look back historically at great Florida teams. I think Steve Spurrier's recruiting was really underrated. We had Jacquez Green on a couple of years ago, and he was talking about, um, you know, how recruiting was much more regional back then, and you sort of only had two or three choices. And, you know, so it, with all the talent in Florida, then it sort of filtered them to one of those Florida schools. And Spurrier and Bowden were really sort of cleaning up there in the 90s. But you look at Meyer in 2006, 2007, 2008, signed 23 of the top 75 guys in uh, in the state of Florida. You look at uh, you look at Mullen, he's got 10, right? So three of the top 25 in, in 18, four in 2019, and five in 2020, and then three in 2021. So you know the reality is he's bringing in three or four of the top 25 guys every year from Florida. And you look at Urban Meyer, he's bringing in seven, eight, nine guys a year from that top 25 in Florida. And by the time he stopped really focusing on the state of Florida, he was then a nationwide recruiter. He was going into Alabama and he was going into Georgia and he was going into Virginia and pulling whoever he wanted at that point because he'd already won two national titles. So um, the other thing is, is that some of those guys haven't made it to the field, right? Justin Watkins was the 20th ranked player in Florida in 2018. He was dismissed after a domestic violence incident to one black was 20th in 2019 he's a great story and he's going to get to be a gator this year but hasn't been able to contribute to the team yet and then i already mentioned isaiah walker he was 24th in 2020 um caesar you know left before fall camp last year so not only have they not necessarily signed the um the numbers that you would like in the state of florida but they also haven't uh haven't necessarily kept those guys here either so you know you, you're only bringing in three a year and you lose one every year um you know that's well, probably black black transferred in to get that state of florida <laughs> moniker there well, so again <laughs> It's not good enough, man. It's not good enough. I mean, you talk about you talk about drawing a map or a circle around your your program, right? And nobody goes within a hundred miles of Tuscaloosa and pulls anybody out of Nick Saban's backyard, right? Nobody does. And I'd say the same thing about about Kirby Smart. In fact, one of the disturbing things is that Norvell just did right for the for the twenty twenty one class. Norvell just brought in a five star guy who was who was from sort of Kirby's backyard. It was really surprising to see and. You know, Mullen hasn't been able to do that yet. I mean, Emory Jones maybe is the closest to that, that, you know, clearly he was wanted by Alabama and, and Florida was able to flip him. But, you know, that's the last time I really remember Florida going up against a guy that Saban or Smart really wanted and winning. And he, even in that case, it's still, if you win two out of 10 battles, you're still, they've still won yeah. 80% of the time, right? Like, probably this, this class, Jason Marshall. Um, yeah. It was for that one, for the uh, Alabama side, Kyrie Elam for Georgia. But as you said, you know, we can remember these because there's not many of them. I can remember the battle that Florida won over Alabama or Georgia just because straight up there's there's not that many to point to that they win. I mean, those receivers that I just mentioned, Florida was in heavy on. Florida wanted Leary. Florida wanted Brooks. They lost out, and they lost out early. Like, those guys have been committed to Alabama for a long time. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is, uh, you know, we talk about – You've seen the results on the field. Why aren't people coming? Well, the results on the field for Alabama have been better than the results on the field for Florida. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know that that's that the guys are going to Alabama is necessarily a convincing argument. The mm -hmm. argument I would make, though, is that Miami is recruiting better in the state of Florida than Florida has. At least this year they did. They recruited better overall and they recruited better in the state. And Miami doesn't have a facilities advantage. They don't have a, hey, we've shown it on the field advantage. They don't have a more stable coaching staff situation advantage, right? Manny, Manny Diaz has been there less time than Mullen. But you play, yet, in front of, you play in front of 20 people. 
I mean, literally, right? Like COVID was like, hey, we've got friends and family here. There's more people than usual. And I mean, how could you possibly, I don't know how you win a recruiting battle at Miami because you bring a guy on campus, you show him around, then you got to get in a bus and go for like a 30 minute ride to get to the actual stadium where you're going to play. Like, uh, Don't give me the facilities argument and then lose, lose out recruits to Miami. It now, granted, you could take him to the beach, but uh, you know, the reality is, is that facilities are not the reason that you're not beating a team like Miami. They might be why you're not beating out guys for Clemson or Georgia or Alabama, but not Miami. And so I, I think it's more indicative of, again, I think we've been saying this now for three or four years, but it, it, as we get more data, it just sort of supports the fact that this is who Mullen is from a recruiting standpoint. His 24-7 average is basically 904 all the way. Like there it doesn't move at all. It's just straight across for four years. His rankings have been like 14th, 9th, 9th, and 13th, right? I mean, that's right where he is. And so the record that you've got in the last three years is probably pretty close to the record you're gonna get for the next three years. And the question is, is that good enough? Is that the Gator standard? That's not something I can answer. I can say what my expectation is for a Florida coach, but all the people who say, well, who are you going to get who's better and all that sort of stuff, I don't think that's the point. I think the point is, right. is that there was just an opportunity to fill the staff with um, you know, guys who have high, high-level recruiting profiles, and they chose – obviously, I, I think uh, – um, you know, Jules was a was a recruiting coordinator at USF, so we'll still see. And McGee seems to really make good connections with players. And, you know, we'll see whether they make a difference in, in 2021 or in the 2022 class. Maybe they will. Um, but I still think it boils down to um, the head man has to be invested in recruiting, has to care about it, has to be willing to text these guys, has to be willing to really get after them. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily happening. All right, all right. There's our thoughts on uh, the class. Before we get into your thoughts out there, I asked you guys uh, to send me your thoughts uh, here. I put up a poll uh, there. I got to see if I can find the poll results right quick, Will, before I get into uh, before I get into the tweets here. Um, so I asked a question: uh, through three years of on-field results and four recruiting classes, do you believe Dan Mullen can win a national championship if this trend in recruiting continues? 1,673 votes, Will. 52% say no, 48% say yes. So, man, pretty uh, – I mean, that's pretty close. Pretty pretty close there, but, you know, uh, almost 50-50 there. Uh, fan base split, 52-48 that no Dan Mullen cannot win a national championship if he continues to recruit this way. And, you know, very um, – very noticeable there. I, I guess that a lot of the fan base feels that way. Um, going to go to some of your thoughts here. Jeff Nix says longer term of stability with better recruiting. Right, longer term of stability with better recruiting. Transfers are good for filling immediate weaknesses, but you can't build long term stability with that, in my opinion. Uh, Andrew Olson says twenty twenty one will be telling. Mullen's methods uh, getting put to the test. His staff is responsible for rosters signing and development. Better recruiting than McElwain but still lacking behind rivals, Georgia, LSU. Will the portal make up for his high school misses? We're about to find out. Shane Armstrong says, I have my doubts. This was supposed to be the year. It was year three for Mullen, and we lost the most games of his tenure and went on to lose the last three games and got absolutely embarrassed by Oklahoma. I guess I'll say I don't know. Let's see how Emory is this year. Josh Horton says, no. Florida still misses on the key. Two to four recruits per cycle needed to make that difference. No matter what Mullen does with the portal, it's not enough to close the gap without closing the ranking gap as well. Top 10 nationally is good, but fifth in the conference isn't good enough. Wild Hands Robinson says, even though the program is in better shape than he found it, 
the product is incomplete. I think the facility upgrade will help in recruiting. Will anything uh, catch your ear there? Um, one more, you know, kind of the next results on the field thing is, well, the facilities will help. Well, we'll, we'll see. I, I, it won't hurt. I'll go ahead and tell you that. It definitely won't hurt. How much better uh, will, will it make Florida's recruiting? Uh, that will be remain. That will remain to be seen. I do think it will make a difference. I, I do think recruits nowadays are impressed uh, by that stuff. I kind of look at those things as tiebreakers. You know, if uh, if you're even between Florida and Miami or Florida and Georgia, Florida, Florida State, will that facility be a tiebreaker uh, that 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 gets you, you know, a recruit? But I think the the kind of like how we proclaim the results on the field necessarily wouldn't matter as much. Recruiting's recruiting. Recruit's recruit. I'm not sure how much facilities are really going to help that, Will. Yeah, I mean, you're fifth in the SEC. That that's what that's what matters, right? The whole thumb wrestling thing. You don't want to lose to anybody. Well, that applies to recruiting just like it does to on the field, or at least it should. And you know, you hear all these stories about Urban Meyer like obsessively following the recruiting rankings. And that's one of the reasons he was good at it, right, is he was not going to lose and probably was ticked off when his team finished second or third, you know, when he was competing with USC. And by the time he got to 2010, I mean, that's pretty impressive that 2010, that record for recruiting in the hall is just now being eclipsed by Alabama. And when we think about Alabama as being a recruiting juggernaut, and none of Saban's teams have been as talent-rich as the team that that – that Meyer brought in or that recruits Meyer brought in in 2010. Now, obviously there were other things going on back then in 2010. A lot of those guys didn't pan out, certainly not the way any of us hoped in Gainesville at the same time. You know, I think there's more stability at Alabama. So you figure that's going to happen. The, the big thing is, is that somebody pointed out to me a while back um, an excerpt in Buddy Martin's book, Urban's Way, where basically Meyer said in the book that they had to keep that, that Tebow almost didn't come to Florida because of Mullen, that they had to they had to overcome their quarterback coach to get Tim Tebow to come here. And I think that's the fundamental issue when it comes to the recruits is, you know, he does not make quick connections with people. It does not seem like he's really willing to suffer fools. He clearly doesn't care about public relations if the Darth Vader and the Pack the Swamp stuff and all that stuff this year are, are any indication. And public relations matters when it comes to recruiting, right? And so I think he's getting the kinds of guys he wants to come to the university because he wants guys who are going to be no-nonsense, nose to the grindstone, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, Randy Moss was a little bit of a head case, but, man, did he make your team better, right? And, and bounced around in college quite a bit, too, because he was, um, you know, getting popped for weed and, and that sort of stuff when he was there. But, man, is he a talented guy. Um, you know, Percy Harvin was not – the easiest guy to to get along with, I don't think, based on everything you've heard. I mean, you know, but an unbelievable player. You gave him the ball and he could go like crazy. The one thing that really hop, popped out to me was the from from the stuff people were talking about there is the Emory Jones piece of that is that you know, the reality is we don't know what he can do. And I think we all suspect he's going to be good. I think we all suspect the offense is going to look different, but the offense is still going to be effective. But, man, if they have a down year on the offensive side of the ball with bringing back Grantham, if they struggle at all on the defensive side of the ball, it could really be a tough year in 2021. The offense is going to have to stay maybe not as – I don't expect it to be as elite as it was last year, but the offense is still going to have to hum pretty good in order to have a successful season next year. And, you know, that that's putting a lot on the shoulders of a guy who hasn't started a game yet. All right. Garrett Leopold says, uh, no, definitely not. And honestly, I can't blame these recruits for not coming to Florida. When all these rumors were going around about him leaving, not once did he come out and say he wants to stay. If he was offered an NFL job last month, he would have taken it. 
Uh, Highway Gator, Highway 20 Gator says, it'll take a few years to really tell. He took over a program with major issues in several areas. He had the team to do it this year, but the defensive coaching slash players didn't do their part. His coaching can't, won't hide the recruiting issues forever. Charlie O, uh, Charlie O, uh, Charlie O says, the issue with relying on the portal is there's not much to show if Bama or Ohio State Clemson thought that transfer players was better that, that they wouldn't still land the majority over you. Only real exception is talent who wants to be closer to home, which clearly helps Florida. And it kind of brings up an interesting point there for, from Charlie saying, you know, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson aren't necessarily doing this in droves like Florida. If they were, would they be getting the same type of player over you in that in that situation? So that's uh, kind of, you know, hypothetical in a way uh, right there. But uh, interesting. Blake Drury says, if we were able to bring in a few elite players each year, whether it's five-star transfers or freshmen, yes, don't matter how many years they have left because elite players only last three years anyway. Uh, we kind of spoke on that uh, earlier. Uh, Trill Speaks says, recruiting does need to be better, but we're still pulling in highly rated recruits and producing results on the field. I'm ready to see what Mullen can do with a true, true dual-threat quarterback. Uh, Justin Smith says, the answer to this question is either yes or only Bama, Georgia, Clemson, and Ohio State have a chance to win national titles based on recruiting rankings. Well, uh, that's kind of what's happening. Uh, every other school in the country is in the same boat as Florida. That is absolutely true. Um, Robert Guagliardo says, no, I think the recruiting needs to improve. The transfers help, but still a lot to be desired from the classes. Mostly offensive line, defensive tackle, and true linebackers still missing on too many top targets, in my opinion. Walker Perryman says, I'm getting through a lot of these. A lot of you sent uh, your thoughts here, of course. Big, big, highly debatable topic here, Will. Um, so Walker Perryman says, staff can't recruit. That isn't changing. They aren't going to develop into good recruiters. So we take the good where we can get them. That good has come through the portal. Anthony, I uh, hope I'm saying this right, Anthony Gallo um, or Gallo. With the transfer portal, now you can absolutely make up for subpar recruiting. Does he still need to have – Consistent, excellent classes, absolutely. But he could make a playoff with this level, in my opinion. And there we go. Well, that's something we have kind of pointed to. There is a could there, and I guess it's still hypothetical. For all the credit Dan Mullen gets as a developer, as a play caller, we've said time and time again, if he gets – if he could, if he could recruit at a Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State level, if he could recruit at that level, we – we assume it would be he would be a shoe in for championships. He's going to win SEC championships. He's going to win national championships or compete for college football playoff spots. I guess that's kind of hypothetical as well. But you know, Anthony says absolutely, but he could make a playoff with this level, in my opinion. Yeah, he could, but I know he can if he's, <laughs> if if the recruiting was a bit better. Yeah, I mean, I, I it is who he is. You know, I remember people getting mad at me in 2018 when he came in, hadn't even coached a game, and uh, and you and I were sounding the alarm a little bit on the on the recruiting, just saying, hey, like this needs to pick up. And um, you know, his first class was actually excellent for a transition class, and so that gave you a lot of hope heading into 2019 that uh, you know that he was going to be able to improve from there, and it just hasn't, right? And and that's the reality. Now, you know, the transfer portal adds a different dimension to everything. The roster management with COVID adds a different layer to everything. Obviously, you're getting guys coming back and sort of having an extra year, like the super freshman class of guys who played this year but are still going to be eligible essentially as freshmen this year. 
changes things in terms of percentages, especially, right? Having 50 guys that you can draw from to try to get the six or seven starters that you need instead of 25 guys makes a big difference and the percentages work in your favor. So I think that actually is probably going to help Mullen. I think when you look at it, 2022 is the year that you look at and say, okay, whether Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson or Carlos Del Rio or whoever wins the quarterback job coming up this fall, um, that guy's going to have a full year to get sort of situated in that role. The defense is going to have a year to probably not be good enough and then have a new defensive coordinator after next year. And and so, you know, 2022, I think, is when you look at it and say the 2018 and 2019 classes had enough attrition and enough sort of guys that we look at and say, OK, eh, those guys aren't hits that that 2020 and 2021 class are going to be the ones that have to lead um, the success in 2022. That So next year, I think, is a developmental year. I mean, whether Florida goes 8-4 and four or whether Florida goes 11-1, and one, I still think next year is a developmental year. I wouldn't expect a championship in that time frame. But I do think in 2022, you got to look at it and say, like I said, you got that super freshman class. You've got, um, you know, all of these transfers that you're bringing in in their second year. So guys like Lingard, Bowman, and and Gilbert all of a sudden should be fully situated in the offense, understand the offense, know where they're supposed to go, do all that sort of stuff. If you can supplement it with a top five class next year, then you're sort of where Florida was in 2006, right? So in 2006, Florida had. Pretty good talent from Ron Zook. I think you could say there were some holes in that roster. Um, Zook obviously recruited at a higher level than Mullen did, but I think Mullen is a better coach than Zook is. And and so you know maybe you say, hey, that's a wash. The guys that Mullen's got in there are as good. So if you supplement the team with talent like Percy Harvin, Brandon Spikes, and 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 Tim Tebow, those sorts of guys, those difference makers, then you're back in that 2006 role where you've got sort of the base of something special, and then you bring in these guys who are true difference makers who can make a difference. The problem is, is I don't necessarily believe based on the past four years that those guys are coming into the program. Um, so they're going to have to pick it up. But the reality is, is Mullen's not going anywhere, regardless of of overtures to the NFL. I, I don't think that uh, yeah, I don't think that, that the PR stuff helps him when it comes to the NFL stuff. If, if you didn't have the Darth Vader incident and things like that, maybe he would have been somebody that they had considered at the NFL level. But when you got a guy like Urban Meyer available and it's him versus Dan Mullen, Meyer's going to win that battle when it comes to going to the NFL. Um, and, and so, you know, Mullen's going to be here for a while. We're going to get to see the experiment play out. So I don't know. That, and, and the other thing is, I think if people are looking for optimism, I think one of the places that you can have some optimism is that in the, in the third year under Steve Spurrier, coming in and sort of rebuilding a program, coming off of probation so you know i would say that having to watch uh doug nussmeyer run offense is kind of like being on probation so coming <laughs> off of probation you know 1990 it became really clear that spurrier was a unique type of coach and could do a lot with the talent that was already in gainesville and then started to supplement that talent in his third year he went nine and four and then all of a sudden the next year he started ripping off 10 11 and 12 win seasons and, and that culminates with the undefeated season with the loss in the Fiesta Bowl and then the national championship the next year um, in, in 95 and 96. And, you know, that's six years into Spurrier's tenure. And so if you're looking for optimism in terms of this happening at Florida before, somebody who had a couple of good years and really showed that he could coach on par with everybody in the in the conference, then sort of has a down year in the third year. And then if so, if Mullen rips off 10, 11, 12 and 12, Nobody's going to be complaining over the next four years. So that's maybe the area for optimism is that where the program was under Muschamp and McIlwain 
has required some heavy lifting that maybe uh, that that without the elite level of recruiting has been a little bit more lifting than Florida fans would like, but that Mullen is capable of making that lift. That would be the optimistic view. The pessimistic view would be that he's, um, you know, that like you said, he's, he's going to be Auburn, right? He's going to be Michigan. It's going to be that team that can't quite get over that hump with the big boys who are in front of him. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh just signed an extension for less money, not because he feels like he's worth less money, but because, um, but because he hasn't been able to beat Ohio State, right? And he wants a job. <laughs> so, you know, but that's, that's the thing at, at Michigan is they haven't beaten Ohio State. They've even struggled with Michigan State and, and those sorts of things. You know, John Cooper didn't last at Ohio State because he couldn't beat Michigan. And at some point, Harbaugh is not going to last at Michigan because he can't beat Ohio State. And they're going to go out and find somebody who can. Um, and you hope that's not the Florida situation. You hope it's more of the Spurrier. But that's what we're going to find out over the next two or three years. And, and certainly – Hopefully the the five stars all pan out, and hopefully these defensive tackles who come in can play elite at an elite level and and sort of piece together the roster to the point where they can catch up on the recruiting trail. But uh, you I know. think C. Spurrier even had that aha moment around that time that recruiting has to get a bit better as well. Yeah, well, you know, he always made comments about like you know Georgia having better players mm-hmm. and things like that too. But uh, you know, we've we've talked to our buddy Bill Sykes went back and looked at all of Spurrier's classes. He shared the data with me at one point. I don't think he actually put it out there in public, but at least not that I saw. But um, he had looked up all of Spurrier's classes, and based on the rankings and the way they sort of sat back then, it, it's a little bit of a myth that Spurrier wasn't a fantastic recruiter. Now maybe he picked it up right. a little bit after that uh, after that '93 season, but. Uh, you know, there were a lot of really, really good players. On yeah, his mid, his, yeah, his mid to late 90s classes were, were you know, elite, what we would consider elite today. Yeah. Well, and part of it, though, is he was he was humble enough to make a change at defensive coordinator after 95, you know, bring in Bob Stoops, and all of a sudden the defense starts playing better to, to supplement his offense. And so maybe that's the other thing that's coming up in a year or two is either Grantham is able to make some changes because of the loyalty that, that Mullen's shown him, and so he's going to be a little bit introspective and try to make some changes. Or, uh, you know, if we have another bad year on the defense next year, we'll get hopefully Bob Stoops' son or something to come in and uh, and, and coach the defensive side of the ball and, and make things change on that side. But uh, – yeah, I, Bill, Bill's in the chat right now. He said Spurrier had a number one class in '92 and never went three years without a top five class. Uh, I figured he'd, he he's hanging there out there throwing shade at us in the <laughs> in the chat. But uh, no, nah, I mean, so Spurrier understood the importance of recruiting. In fact, I mean, that was one of the things they interviewed Spurrier at. Uh, I think it was at halftime of one of McIlwain's when McIlwain was still in charge. And he's like, what do you think he needs to do better? Well, he needs to bring in better players. Like, all right. No, I think that was Mullen's first game. Was it Mullen's first game? Yeah. 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 He was, he was halftime it was the, when the stadium was dedicated or something like, oh, I forget what exactly what night it was or something like that. But yeah, he was, uh, yeah, as you're right, he was in the booth saying, you got to have, you got to have stars. Well, that's why he just gives him the little bottles of wine when he accomplishes something. That way, if Mullen decides to throw it at him, it, it doesn't hurt too bad. But um, look, I mean, everybody knows, right? You got to have elite players on the field, but it requires more than that. It requires elite X's and O's. It requires having development programs. It requires having the right strength and conditioning program. Um, you know, McIlwain didn't recruit at an elite level, but, you know, guys were like working at, the, at Gainesville Health and Fitness as opposed to having a real strength and conditioning program back then. And 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 that showed too. And, and certainly those things have been fixed when it comes to the program. So I, I don't want to be completely pessimistic, but I want to be realistic, right? Which is that traditionally teams that finish fourth or fifth in the conference win like 60% of their conference games. 
Well, you win 60% of your conference games in an eight-game season. You're winning five or six of your conference games. That team doesn't win a national championship, and that team rarely wins an SEC championship. So that's really what you're looking at, right, is you get elite quarterback play with the recruits that you have, and you're Auburn, right? You put Cam Newton on an Auburn team that's less talented than Alabama, but they're able to beat Alabama because Cam Newton is so heads and, heads and shoulders above everybody else. We'll see. If Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson is that guy, then I think Mullen has as good a shot as anybody of winning the SEC and potentially even getting into the playoff and winning a playoff. But he's going to need that elite quarterback play to offset just the the fact that there's going to be misses in any recruiting class, regardless of how good of a developer you are. And, and you know, the numbers dictate here that there will be less misses for Clemson and LSU and Alabama than there will be for Florida. All right, last few thoughts here before we go, Will. Uh, Chris Lake, 808, says there's such a gap now recruiting versus Alabama that I don't think coaching development, the portal, and scheming can realistically close. Even if you catch Bama in a down year, quote-unquote down year, he says, you still have to – you still have Ohio State and Clemson recruiting almost at the same level. Um, Freedom Fries says three years down and he's delivered on the field with the roster he's been dealt with. There are some gaps in other areas of the field, but he makes up for it with maximizing their talent. Something Boom and McElwain never did this year will tell if he can win titles or not. Uh, Ryan S. at Go Gators for Life says, Unfortunately, I don't think he can, not as long as our conference rivals are landing the best of the best. We may beat them every once in a while, but not at a consistent level. The portal has been good, but it's clearly not enough. We need to recruit a lot better. Donovan German says, assuming portal takes will eventually interfere with recruiting legit high school talent, then I don't see straight-up recruiting getting better. However, as an optimist, I selected yes because elite quarterback play is what can rescue a team. Going to your point there, Will. Uh, Mullen can coach slash scheme QBs, just need a talent cluster. Hey, we've heard that before. Um, Cody at uh, Bundaroo, a few more here. Because uh, my opinion, Mullen's a mastermind with X's and O's with the way he works with the portal is very possible for the stars to align and we get a championship. But I don't see sustainable success with the way we're recruiting right now. He needs to make a couple home run hires for recruiting in mind. Uh, Sting Feed News with 2021's class as the outlier, I still say yes. If he recruits in the 6 to 10 range and supplements those classes with two to three elite transfers a year, big if, but doable. I think his coaching acumen can get it done with roster of top 10 talent and great quarterback play. And Arrogator 007, he needs depth, offensive line, defensive line. He is our best chance. Too many critics of Dan haven't been around very long. Um, Michael Shabani, Mullen needs to get better on the recruiting trail, especially when it comes to closing. Amazing exes in those coach needs to get better at recruiting and a better staff for recruiting. Also, if Grantham stays, I don't think we'll make it any better than what we have. <laughs> That's why I had to get that one in there because um, it goes along with this one too. Uh, at T-Dubs 86, I answered yes, but with one condition, replace Grantham. <laughs> we know we can score, just need a respectable defense. Last couple here, Andrew Scott, hard to be upset with recruiting when we land guys like this in the portal. And there we go. That's it. So both both uh, both sides of the coin there I think the percentage in the poll showed will the translation in some of the comments we were getting there more lean toward uh, it's got to get better got to get better so we kind of outline why it has to get better and uh, will that that'll do it for this episode man it kind of having the same story year after year after year when we do this episode uh, and you know kind of the one where 
a lot of the listeners out there were, will, will slam us for a little while, but uh, it, it is what it is. I think uh, a lot are slowly starting to come around on uh, on the thought of, you know, hey, this what we see today correlates to what we see on game day a lot of the time. It's not a not a for sure thing. It doesn't mean you can't win. Um, doesn't mean it won't win, but uh, we just like to give percentages, got to give data, you know, year after year of data, of data, of data of, of recruiting. And, you know, it, it, it gives you a likely scenario. Yeah, I, I think it, it requires a recalibration of expectations, right? When Mullen first came here, had a recruiting class that was ranked top, 14 or whatever it was you said okay transition class is really really good if he can get that into the five to seven range in year two and then can get up into like the top three every once in a while then you're looking at a team that's going to compete to take it to pick off georgia pick off alabama and be a real player in the sec year after year after year after year i think the expectations at this point are that everything has to converge at one year you know bill wrote a great article over at read and reaction about clustering um you sort of alluded to it earlier but the idea that you're for mere mortal programs you have to have everything hit at one time and last year we didn't see that right the offense hit but the defense clearly did not and so you know you end up with a team that's flawed and that's that that's i think what ends up happening is is that more often than not you're going to end up with a team that's flawed going up against a team like alabama that even with the defensive issues that they had last year was able to improve throughout the year, had guys to put in if there weren't guys who were performing, if there were guys who were making mistakes, um, had the ability to learn um, in blowouts because they were good enough that they were able to able to take people down, all those sorts of things. And Florida just didn't have that last year. Now, that doesn't mean that Mullen isn't going to get the job done eventually, but, you know, the again, I go back to expectations. The expectations are, for me is that Florida's an underdog. And Florida is mm-hmm. going to be an underdog against Georgia for the foreseeable future. And Florida is going to be an underdog versus Alabama for the foreseeable future. And if you figure that's even a 70-30 proposition, then that means you got to take 30% times 30% to gauge Florida's ability to win the SEC, right? If it's a 70-30 shot that they're going to lose to, to both Alabama and Georgia, then it's only a 30% chance they're going to win. That's how you figure out, all right, are they going to be able to get through the SEC unscathed and, and win the SEC title? That's a really low percentage, right? It's – you know, you're you're looking at something that's pretty close to one in ten. Well, you know, one in ten, eh, the fan base isn't probably going to be happy with that. So you got to raise that winning percentage up a little bit. You got to bring those things a little bit closer, I think, to meet with what people's expectations are. And those expectations being set by Mullen, right? I mean, coming in and saying, "I know what the Gator standard is. I've lived through it. I'm going to flash my rings." That's what the Gator standard is. And Steve Spurrier the same way, right? I mean, the one national title, but there are a whole lot of SEC championships sitting up there on the promenade from uh, from that Spurrier era. And so, um, you know, that's what people expect. They expect statues. They expect banners. And until those things come, I think everybody's going to look at this as the wart on Mullen's resume. But, you know, like I said, he's the underdog, but that doesn't mean he can't do it. And, in fact, I think it'll make it even more impressive if he does. Because when you look at yeah. When you look back, you go, wow, he did something nobody else did. You go, all right, I, I'm not sure that I would recommend that for a young coach coming into a, coming into a situation. But, hey, he stuck by his guns. And, and you know, that is one thing about Mullen that I think many people admire, many people it drives nuts. And I think some people, it, they actually admire it and it drives them nuts at the same time, which is how stubborn he can be when it comes to the things that he believes and, and the, way, the way he operates his program. But the reality is, is sometimes you got to do it your way. And this is his way, and we'll see whether it can work because you know he gets paid six million bucks, and we do not. Yeah, that's the thing here. I'll, I'll, I'll end on my kind of my recruiting thing. 
uh, that I end on every year. It doesn't mean he won't win. Uh, and if he does, we'll give him even more credit because, I mean, it hasn't been done like this uh, too many times before. So you, you give him even more credit there if he does it this way. And recruiting will – it doesn't mean you will win, but you ain't winning without it. That's about the simplest way I can put it. So, <laughs> I mean, most champs, look, we got, the, we got the examples. They recruit well. doesn't mean you win, but go look at the teams that do win. You're not winning without it. So, Yeah, it's a little bit depressing, actually, is, is, that, it's, it, is that this is such a big component of the winning. But as long as you're analyzing right. the team, you have to admit that it's a huge portion of winning. And, you know, like, like I said, you hope that he, can, that he can play the underdog role and that, he, that he's got that LSU game just sort of playing in the weight room all offseason and that the guys come in just juiced up next year for all the games that, that – you know, for all the close games they lost last year, that they close things out in the fourth quarter, that Emory Jones is a revelation, and we're all eating our words. I think we both want to be wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. We both want Florida to win, win consistently, and win national titles under Dan Mullen. We're rooting for him to do that. Um, at the same time, you know, you you need to know where you stand in the woods in order to get out of them, and and that's the thing is we can see where Florida sits on a map after four years here, and the map says there are some pretty big mountains we got to climb in order to get out of the situation that we're in. You know, hey, we've got a really good climber. That's great, right? It's better than being fat and out of shape trying to get, trying to go over the mountains. At the same time, the mountains are there, and saying, oh no, the mountains aren't there doesn't do us any good. We have to recognize it. We have to start walking over them. And there's only two ways to do it, right? Is to blast your way through it, or to or to try to navigate your way over it. And you know, the blast your way through it is the recruiting aspect of it. And maybe they're getting that with the transfers, um, but you know, they're going to have to coach their way out of it, and we'll see if they can do it. Bama's Mount Everest, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Kirby's a little puppy mountain who, like you know, who who looks really dangerous, and then as you as you go up, you're like, oh, he's gonna make a bad decision. So. <laughs> All right, that is Will Miles. Will Miles, you can find him at readandreaction.com and his site. Man, I did that again. And his site on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Um, he'll have some recruiting talk there, uh, hopefully, and. Um, well, you might be you might be out of pocket, uh, you know, coming up soon, I guess, too. So, uh, you know, yeah, we'll, uh, we we got a little guy coming. So, yeah. so sometime I was just waiting for the text from my wife. I was gonna have to tell you, Dave, I gotta go. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll see. So uh, the the nice part is with COVID, you get locked in the hospital room. So I'll have time to write if I get locked in the hospital room. So it'll be good. There we go. There we go. So send all your well wishes to Will Miles and his family there uh, coming up and. Um, We'll uh we'll be back for uh, another episode. I don't know what I'm doing next week yet. Uh, so um we'll 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 figure it out. I got I got an idea in mind, but uh, maybe we'll maybe with or without will. So <laughs> we're not talking recruiting again. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking with recruiting and all the questions that we've had over the last month. Maybe maybe a good time for state of the program. So I think uh you know we can we can I think we can we can discuss that a good bit. So all right, that's Will Miles. His site, readingreaction.com. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>